0: Welcome to the Buford Sermons Podcast, where we care about the things you care about. For more information or to donate to this ministry, please visit www.fbcbuford.org. Amen, church. If you believe that he is worthy this morning, can you put your hands together? Amen, amen. If you'll go ahead and take your seats and open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter five this morning. As we continue the series in Jesus is Greater, we look at verses 11 through chapter 6, verse 3. And the Bible reads like this. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rights, the, ha- the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. May the Lord add a blessing to the hearers and doers of his word.
1: Amen. Well, to get us started this morning, I would like to submit to you my nomination for the new national anthem for many Americans, both young and old. Chad, hit it. I won't grow up. I won't grow up. Go to school. I don't want to go to school. Just to learn to be a parrot. Just to learn to be a parrot. And
0: recite a silly rule. And recite a silly rule. If growing up means it would be beneath my dignity to climb a tree, I'll never grow up. Never grow up. Never grow up.
1: Not me. Not I. Not me. Not me. Thoughts? Think it's appropriate is it appropriate okay okay the thing i that's obviously from Peter Pan I think it was a musical version I'm not sure I'm not a musical guy so I don't know Brian will have to tell me after the service or he was in nine o'clock oh there you go okay Meredith told me All right, there we go anyways clearly this was actually written by an adult right because most kids they want to grow up most of them do my mom tells this story I mean incessantly about love you mom uh, over and over again about how when I was about three or four apparently I got upset with her and I turned to her and I said when I turn nineteen and I don't have to listen to you anymore I'm gonna do whatever I want she tells that story over and over again and the point is kids typically wanna grow up they want their independence they want their freedom it's only when we should grow up that we kinda choose not to sometimes right it's only as we get older that we desire to stay young. An immature adult is a sad sight to see, but an immature follower of Christ is even, is even sadder. This is the picture that's being presented by the writer of Hebrews. He's been explaining the superiority of Christ over the last several chapters. When here in verse 11 of chapter 5, he begins to lament the spiritual immaturity of his audience. Now, it's widely debated what he means when he says, there is much to say about this in verse 11. Uh, we're not, some commentators would say that he's referring to Melchizedek. If you'll remember, Pastor Stephen talked to us briefly about Melchizedek uh, last week. And so, he could be talking about Melchizedek, there's something I want to say about Melchizedek, or he could be meaning, there's something I want to say about Jesus but really, that's not important, believe it or not. What's really important is the writer of Hebrews is saying this. There's something I would really like to teach you right now, but I can't do it because you're too spiritually immature. And that's kind of the point of the passage today. My three-year-old daughter, is; she started playing rookie ball this year. And if your child has ever played rookie ball, you know it's like herding chickens. And uh, there, you know, there's a lot that her mom and I would love to teach her about the game of baseball or softball that we just can't teach her right now because she's too young. She doesn't understand. She can't catch. She can't throw yet, really. She kind of can throw, but not really. She can't even really run to the right base after she hits it. So there's not much point in us trying to train her in the advanced uh, you know, techniques of baseball and softball. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us here. I can't teach you anything more than I would like to because you're too immature. So this morning we're going to look at what maturity require in what maturity in Christ requires and what it builds. The first thing is that maturity requires passion. In Hebrews chapter five and verse eleven. He says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Uh, the New American translation, New American Standard Translation says, you have become poor listeners. And the Greek phrase here literally means to become sluggish in your hearing. It gives the picture of lethargy and mental dullness or apathy. Ladies, you understand what this means, right? You talk to your husband, you say something to him, and there's, there's, there's a person there, but they're not listening to anything that's going on, right? Lethargy and mental dullness. They'd become numb to the gospel and to the word of God. And I think it's really worthy of note that we realize what he says. He says that they no longer try to understand. They no longer listen. Clearly they were once listening, but they stopped somewhere along the way. Now the question arises, who or what did they stop listening to? Does it mean that will they stop listening to the preacher? Well, to the extent that the preacher is proclaiming the word of God, yes. But don't forget that the context of the passage. Don't forget what the writer has been saying all along. Do you remember that the writer has been pointing us back to the Old Testament over and over and over and over and over and over and over over again? Specifically, Exodus chapter 17, Numbers chapter 14, Psalm 95, and over and over again. He's been telling us, take note of the word of God. If you'll remember in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7, he says, So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He says, when you read the Word of God and when you hear the Word of God, you are literally hearing and reading the voice of the Holy Spirit. And don't forget what's said about the Word of God in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So when the writer of Hebrews says that the people stopped listening... He means they stopped listening to the Holy Spirit of God speaking through His Word. They lost their passion for the Word. And so they lost their passion for Him because they stopped listening to the Holy Spirit of God in their lives. And I I believe that this passage provides some support for something that's really important for us to understand in our world today. And that is that biblical illiteracy leads to spiritual immaturity. Biblical illiteracy leads to spiritual immaturity. If you don't know what the Bible says, you cannot grow in your faith. That's not being mean, that's not being hateful, that's being factual. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. You have lost your passion for the Word of God. You've stopped listening to the Word of God. You've stopped applying it in your life, and so your maturity has become stagnant. You're not growing in your faith because of it. Now, before you say, I'm safe here because I read my Bible all the time, I'm glad I came today because this message doesn't apply to me. I'm good. Let me read you what Jesus says to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. He says, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Now when we read verse 4 there, we don't expect to read, excuse me, when we read verse 3, we don't expect to read verse 4 following it, do we? Because Jesus is speaking to the church at Ephesus and he's saying to them, you've done some things really well. You've endured hardships for my name. You've endured persecution for my name, but you've lost the love that you had for me at the beginning. They were doing some things outwardly that were really good, but inside their motivation had taken a wrong turn. They were enduring for the sake of the gospel, but they weren't basking in the glory of the gospel. So we can stop listening to the Spirit of God in two ways. We can, of course, stop interacting with the Word of God at all, either reading it or hearing it, and like we just said, you can read something without hearing it, and you can or without listening, and you can hear something without listening. Or we can even read or hear the word of God without being captivated by and encountering the Lord Jesus. We can read the Word of God just to go through the motions, to check off a list on our uh, our checklist every day, to be a good little boy or girl, to be a good little Christian person, uh, but we can do it totally void of any passion for Jesus. Did you know that? you may be reading but the question is are you listening you may be hearing but the question is are you listening is it captivating your heart is it changing the way you view things if you can't remember the last time the Word of God changed your viewpoint on something you need to get back to it so the step one here is to be in the Word of God every day but step two is to make sure that when you read the Word you're doing so prayerfully with a heart that desires to encounter the Lord Jesus. Read and hear not simply to endure, but to encounter. Keep your passion for Jesus by listening to the Spirit of God through His Word. So maturity requires passion, but not only that, maturity also requires progress. When we don't listen to the Spirit of Christ through His Word, we lose our passion. And when we lose our passion, We halt our progress. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12 says, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with teaching about righteousness. Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The writer says that his readers should already be teachers themselves, but they actually need someone to reteach and reteach and reteach the elementary truths of the faith because they've lost their passion and willingness to listen to the Spirit of Christ. They can never move on because they never really established the foundation of these elementary truths in their heart. So first of all, I think it's helpful for us to realize what does he mean when he says elementary teachings. If they should already be familiar with these teachings, and if they should already be moving on to deeper truths, then we need to know what he means by elementary teachings, right? Well, thankfully, he tells us in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. It says, therefore, let us move beyond elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity... Not laying again the foundation of, and here they are, repentance from acts that lead to death. In other words, elementary teaching number one, you are a sinner who has fallen short of the glory of God and you must repent for your sin. You must be forgiven of your sin. Second elementary teaching, repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. Secondly, the only way to be forgiven of your sin is to put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. That's essentially the gospel, right? So that's elementary teaching number two. Elementary teaching number three, instruction about cleansing rites. Uh, We'll just say that this is a fancy way of talking about baptism. That a person uh, needs to be baptized by immersion after they've been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ as a symbol of what's happened in their heart and life. That's elementary teaching number three. Elementary teaching number four, the laying on of hands. Now we could go into a very long explanation of this, but for the sake of time today, just let me tell you that what it's talking about there is the fact that when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God comes to indwell the heart of every believer. So once you've trusted in Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart. And as Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We become a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit after we've come to faith in Christ. That's elementary teaching number four. Elementary teaching number five, the resurrection of the dead what this is talking about is the fact that we believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, right? Well, at at the last day when Jesus comes again, our bodies who are buried, that are buried, they will be raised from the ground and we will then receive a glorified body just like Jesus received a glorified body after he was resurrected here on this earth. That's what that's talking about. And then elementary teaching number 6 It says, and eternal judgment. The fact that everyone will spend eternity somewhere, either apart from Christ or with Christ. Eternal judgment. So, those are the six elementary teachings that he's speaking of. When he says, uh, when he talks about the elementary teachings being milk for infants, for babies, that's what he's talking about. When a baby is born, God has so designed that new life that all it needs to grow is mother's milk or something like mother's milk. And what a joy it is when your newborn baby figures out how to drink that milk. You'll you'll know, uh, some of you know, that after a child is born, one of the very first things you do is you start trying to train that baby how to take in the milk that they need, right? And when they figure it out, Everybody celebrates, the nurses are in there, oh good for them, they figured out how to eat, they figured out how to take in that milk, right? I always tell my kids, I always have, maybe I shouldn't. Every time they do something like very elementary like that, I'll say, don't worry, the standard will get higher. So, But when that baby is first born, and they figure out how to eat, isn't it just the most exciting thing in the world? I mean, you're just blown away, you're so happy... Why? Because that milk is essential to their growth. If they don't learn to take in that milk, they will not grow. And for a baby Christian, for somebody who's just put their faith in Jesus Christ, the most important thing they can do is reflect on the elementary truths of the faith. That Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross and when he died on the cross, he took the penalty for our sin. And then he rose again three days later. That when you were baptized in water, it was a symbol of what already happened in your heart and life, that you've died to yourself. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. That the Holy Spirit of God indwells your heart and who you really are on the inside is Christ. Who you really are on the inside is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Your true self is regaining the image of God that you, were claim, that you were created to reflect. When you're a baby Christian, you ought to be reflecting on that stuff every single day because it is your milk to help you grow. Peter tells the new believers in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. So that by it, you may grow up in your salvation, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Peter says here that it's important to drink the spiritual milk of the word. Drink in those elementary truths. Why? So that you may grow up in your salvation. Did you know that it is possible for you to be born again, for you to be saved by Christ and to remain a spiritual baby for the rest of your life? It is possible But how sad. Because see, the goal of drinking milk is not just to maintain. It's to mature. And when you take in that milk, it causes you to mature to the point that you want something more. You want solid food. Babies, they get to a place where they love the milk maybe still, but they want some more. They want food. They want solid food. And that's what we're called to do. Seeing that newborn baby drinking milk is a proud moment, but if your five-year-old or your 35-year-old is still on a bottle, you got a problem, right? Somewhere along the way, there was a, there was a, there was a gap in their development. Something went wrong. Let me tell you something. In most cases, I know there are some outlier cases, and I'm not talking about those, but In most cases, what is precious for an infant can become even perverse for an adult. We can't imagine an adult taking in nutrients the same way that an infant does. It becomes even perverse in our minds. And that's because there's an expectation that we mature, that we grow, and that we begin to get our nutrients in a different way. When Jesus saves us, we come just as we are. We don't know anything, and that's okay. Just drink the milk. Drink in those elementary truths. Reflect every day on how Jesus died for you, how he rose again and forgave you by his grace. And if you do that consistently, then you'll begin to desire solid food, food that befits a mature believer. Now, as I was studying this, there were a couple of questions that kind of were raised in my mind, and I thought maybe they were raised in your mind's, as we talk about this, so let me just answer those. And The first question I thought of was this, I thought that Jesus said that we should come to him like a little child. But now here it's telling us that we ought to grow up. So how does that work? Are we supposed to be like a child or are we not supposed to be like a child? Well in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 20 it gives us clarity with this. Paul says, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. Now, in regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. So in other words, we should have the heart of a child, absolutely. Why? Because the heart of a child is innocent. The heart of a child is dependent. The heart of a child is humble. And we must have that heart of a child if we're going to come and submit our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a necessity. Humility, dependency is a necessity if we're going to put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. So with regard to evil, or when it comes to your heart, be innocent like a child. But in your thinking, be adults. Grow up. Grow up in your thinking. In 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse 15, Peter says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that, is, that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. In other words, have the heart of a child and the wisdom of a saint. Have the heart of a child and the wisdom of a saint. That's what God's called us to. But the second question that I think kind of comes to mind, and maybe it's a little more prevalent than the first, is this. When the writer of Hebrews says that we should move beyond these elementary truths, does that mean that we shouldn't focus on the gospel anymore? That we should kind of move beyond the gospel in our lives and we should start focusing on nitpicking all these little doctrinal disagreements and things like that? well not exactly and let's talk about that Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1 again it says therefore let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God so let's just realize that what the writer is saying here is that these elementary truths that we've been talking about they're a foundation. They're the foundation. And once you lay the foundation you don't just keep working on the foundation for the next 30 years do you? Uh, you, I mean it's, it's obvious. You don't build the foundation in order to tear down the foundation in order to build the foundation in order to tear down the foundation. And yet that's what these believers here were doing in Hebrews. They were building the foundation of Christ and then they were losing their passion and they were moving on to other things and they were tearing down the foundation that had been laid in their lives but the ideal situation is that once the foundation is laid everything else you build is based on the foundation ideally if the foundation is good you don't have to worry or wonder for the rest of the build process whether, whether or not everything's level, right? Now that's in a perfect world, that probably rarely happens. But in a perfect world, once you've laid the foundation, you can do everything else and not have to worry whether you know, the whole thing's going to slide off this way or that way. Because the foundation is level, and the foundation is secure, and the foundation is stable. You move beyond the foundation in the building process, but you never move off the foundation. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. When he says, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ, he's not saying, forget about the gospel. He's not saying don't reflect on the goodness of Jesus Christ on the cross and in his resurrection anymore. He's not saying don't realize that the Holy Spirit is, is within you anymore and move on to other things that are more important. No, no, no. The writer is saying move beyond these truths in your maturity process, but don't move away from them. Move beyond them. In Ephesians chapter 2, and verse 19, it says... Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone of our foundation. You don't leave the cornerstone behind, you build on it. Every other thing that you do, every other block that you lay, every other uh, you know, stud that you put into that home is oriented in relationship to that cornerstone. Every time you do something new, every time you gain new information, what do you do? You go back and you make sure that it's in line with the cornerstone. And that's what we're to do with our lives. Everything we learn... We weigh it against the gospel. We say, is this in line with the Lord Jesus Christ, what he's done for me, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Is what I have learned anew in line with what I've learned before about the gospel of Jesus Christ? We move beyond the gospel, but we never move away from the gospel. The problem is that many of us can't decide which foundation we're going to build on. Are we going to build on the foundation of Christ Or on a house in the sand. The foundation on the rock is the only security. But the house on the sand is easier. And it sometimes looks more fun. And the writer of Hebrews is saying that some folks can't decide on which foundation they're going to build. They have to be retaught the elementary truths. Because they've never really put their faith and their trust in Jesus. Pastor Stephen is going to talk about that more in the following verses in a couple of weeks. And there are still others who maybe have put their faith in Jesus, but they have no desire to start building on their knowledge and to start building on the kingdom. It's a sad sight to see a spiritually immature believer. Now, I'm not talking about a spiritual baby, understand. Somebody who's just come to faith in Christ, hey, you don't need to be ashamed of where you are. Rejoice that you've been given new life. And take in the, this milk, these elementary truths, man, drink them in so that you can grow and thereby grow up in your salvation. But what I'm talking about and what the writer of Hebrews is talking about is those who should be able to teach by now, who, who should be taking in and drinking in the word in such a way that they've graduated to solid food. That's a choice. And it can become dangerous in the body of Christ when you've got a spiritual child who thinks that they're the Apostle Paul. Have you ever met a child who was a know-it-all and actually didn't know anything? (laughs) I got some support on the front row. Wow, that was funny. Y'all know though, right? I mean, an adult that thinks they know everything is bad enough. But a little kid who thinks they know everything and has to correct everybody, golly, don't you just want to swat them? I mean, it's just awful. The problem is that churches, not this one now, of course, doesn't apply to anybody in our church, but churches are full of people who are spiritual baby know-it-alls, who really aren't mature at all in their faith. They carry around their bottle, and every time something don't go their way, they take it out and start nourishing themselves on that milk because they've never graduated to solid food. The problem is, we've, our country is full of churches that encourage it. I've heard uh, some mega church pastors who say essentially, "Just love people and don't worry about being knowledgeable." I actually heard somebody say one time from a stage at a large church, I don't want a bunch of fathead Christians in my church. Referring to people who are knowledgeable about scripture. And then there's other churches who train people to be arrogant about their biblical knowledge. And what we want to say here is neither one of those things. What we want to say is what the writer of Hebrews is saying, which is this, that greater knowledge of the Word should drive us to have a deeper love for Jesus, and that deeper love for Jesus should drive us to have a hunger for His Word. It's a cycle. One feeds the other. Our knowledge feeds our love, and our love feeds our knowledge, and it just goes on and on and on, and eventually it produces maturity in the heart of a believer, And this is really the point of the whole passage today. The writer says to his audience, you lost your love for Jesus. You stopped listening to the Holy Spirit in your life through the Word. And I want to ask you, when is a relationship in the most trouble? Just take your marriage, for example. When is your relationship in the most trouble? I would submit that it's not in the most trouble if you're arguing all the time. Now, obviously, I don't endorse arguing all the time. That's not ideal. Hopefully, you mature and move on beyond that. But I would say that's not when you're in the most danger. You're in the most danger in your relationship when you stop listening to each other. That's when you're in the most danger. And your relationship with God is the same way. It's in the most danger when you stop listening to him through his word. He says, you lost your love and when you lost your love you lost your desire to grow in knowledge and because you lost your desire to grow in knowledge you're having a hard time restoring the love that you lost maturity requires passion and progress it requires love and knowledge not just one and if you're focusing only on one then you're lopsided at best and immature at worst so the final thing I want to talk to you about or just ask you is we probably need to ask this, why even pursue maturity? Why should we do it? Is it self-evident? Maybe. But I want to give you a specific reason, and that is because maturity builds unity. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 21, it feeds off of that verse that's talking about Jesus as the chief cornerstone. And it says this, In Jesus the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. This is important because we need to ask the question, if we are building lives toward maturity, why are we doing it? Are we doing it for ourselves or are we doing it for others? Because what this passage says is that we aren't building a castle for ourselves. We're building the kingdom of God. Maturity builds unity. Remember, He is working on your mansion. We're called to work on His mission. Don't worry about your mansion. He's got that taken care of. Don't worry about building a little kingdom for yourself down here. That's a waste of time. Because the mansion that he's going to build for you, if you put your faith and your trust in him as Savior and Lord, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And I don't know about you, but I got a lot more confidence in Jesus's preparation than I do in my own. And so I'm not worried about my mansion. I'm not worried about my kingdom. When I'm reflecting, obviously, on the Lord Jesus Christ as I should, I'm not worried about those things. I ought to be worried about loving other people and every brick that I build in this life ought be for somebody else. Because maturity builds unity. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up, listen, until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. We need to understand that unity requires maturity. And I want you to hear this very carefully, this next statement I'm about to make. I want you to listen very carefully because praise God it's not true of our church right now but I want you to understand any church can be a breath away from a situation like this. So let's remember that churches that fail in the area of unity fail first in the area of maturity. If the church is full of immature Christians, there is no possibility for that church to be unified in its mission. It's just not possible. You can be unified around some other things for a little while, Woo-hoo, it's really exciting around here. Woo-hoo, you know, lots of fun stuff. Maybe you brought in a lot of money. Maybe you, there's, there's lots of things you can get excited about for just a minute, but real unity that lasts only occurs because the people in that congregation are growing in their maturity in Christ Jesus. Unity and maturity are tough things to achieve. Nobody's disputing that. And there's no way to do it under our own strength, but unity is necessary for us to fulfill our mission of making disciples. I want to read you one more passage of scripture, show you a diagram, and then I'm done. John chapter 17. Jesus is praying for us before he's crucified on the cross, and he says this. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, talking about the disciples. That all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So why do we pursue maturity? I want you to look at this diagram. Because when we are engaged in love for Christ, which drives our desire for knowledge about Him, which drives our love for Him. When we're in that cycle, it equals individual maturity. And when we, when we as a congregation, when we have a church full of people that are attaining individual maturity, it leads to corporate unity. And when we have corporate unity, it equals a great witness for Christ. Did you see what Jesus said? He said, May they also be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you've sent me. Do you know that the way we show the love of Christ to the world is through the unity of the church? The way we love each other shows Jesus to the world or not. So, the church, not this one, But the church in general has largely lost their witness for Christ, why? Because they're not unified. And they're not unified because people aren't mature in their faith. And people aren't mature in their faith because they've lost their love. And they've lost their desire for knowing more about Christ. So as I close, the thing about it is, I think most of us would agree that you know our culture is messed up our society is messed up our our situations are messed up and you know we always like to point to other things right this politician or that politician or this social structure or schools or I mean I, you know you, you know all the things that we point our finger at this is what's wrong with our country this is what's wrong with our country this is what's wrong with the church this is but ultimately the only person you can control is you right the only person I can control is me So, the question always needs to be what can I do? You know, you've probably heard it said if you're in a bad marriage, it ain't gonna do very much for you to say, well, to ask yourself over and over, what can the other person do to make me happy in this marriage? That's not gonna help. What will help is you saying, what can I do to create a better environment? for our marriage, right? What can I do? That's the question we need to be asking and so if we really want to make a difference in our community and we really want to make a difference in our world, we really want to make a difference for the gospel here's where we need to start how's your passion for Jesus and how is your hunger to know more about him through his word ask yourself those two questions and if the answer to either of those two questions is it's not very good. My passion is not very good. My knowledge is not very good. And my desire to know more is not very good. That's where you can start. The great news is, 1 John 1.9 says that if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So I think collectively, I can tell you that me personally, I'm in a position to repent and to say, God, I'm sorry. For the areas in which I've lost my passion for you. And Lord I'm sorry for the times that I have lost my hunger for your word. Not just reading it but listening to it. Being transformed by it. God forgive me. Renew that hunger in me. Renew that passion in me. And as we do that we will become mature which will lead to unity in this church which will lead to an incredible witness for Christ as we seek to win this community to him. So if you don't know Christ, I want to invite you to come today to put your faith and your trust in Jesus. And if you have, I want to invite you to examine your heart. Where are you in this cycle? Where are you in your maturity? Is some repentance in order so that you can continue to grow in him? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that, Lord, there's no doubt that everybody in this room, certainly myself, everybody in this room struggles in these areas. We all struggle on a daily basis to be as passionate as we should, to be as knowledgeable, to be as hungry as we should be. But God, I'm thankful that because of who you are, you'll forgive us. You've already made a way for us, and that if we'll only come to you and repent, God, you'll forgive us, and you'll offer us a better way. And I pray this morning that all of us would seek a better way, that we might grow up in our salvation, become mature, be unified, and represent you to the world. In Jesus' name.
0: We hope that you have been blessed and challenged by this message. If you have questions, prayer requests, or want to know more about how to follow Jesus, please check us out at fbcbuford.org.